As a working mom, I was spinning on my heels trying to be everything to everyone without realizing overwhelm had its firm grip over me. And it's no wonder since we juggle many identities and responsibilities and tendencies to shy away from our awesomeness. Does this sound like you? I believe one of the keys to successful living is activating our personal power. The question is, how do we do this? Join me each week as I uncover actionable tips from experts and intentionally aligned working mums who, like you and me, are on a journey to boost their personal power. My name's Roxana. Welcome to the Personal Power Boost Podcast. My guest on today's show is Jenny Kiddle. Jenny is a registered nutritional therapist and a health coach. Now, we all need a Jenny in our corner. So today, I invite Jenny to share insights and actionable steps to help us understand and manage our relationship with food. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Oh, that was really lovely. Thank you. Everyone needs a Jenny. That's made my life. Listen, we all need it. We all need a Jenny in our corner, kind of rooting yeah. us on. Yeah, rooting, not judging. That's for sure. I'm not going to be watching you in the corner, just uh, cheering gently. That's exactly <laughs> what we need. That's exactly what we need. And I, and I know that some people do judge, so it's that's why I said we need a Jenny. You will just yeah. sit in the back and root for us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's lovely to virtually be here. Exactly. I mean, isn't it nice that we can connect like this? Because you're now in Brighton, aren't you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I moved to Brighton about a year ago now, a year ago last April, um, and it's wonderful. It, we're kind of residing in a temporary accommodation for lockdown. I'm really missing the seaside. I'm not currently in Brighton like as we speak, right. um, but we'll be going back very soon as soon as all this goes back to normal. Um, and I'm, I'm having to start to take my Instagram off as, because I can't bear seeing all my friends at the beach, like sitting down and having a nice lunch. Like I miss it so much. How yeah, dare right, they? Right. I know. <laughs> so selfish. But yeah, um, yeah, moved to Brighton about a year ago from St Albans and it's it's one it's a wonderful, wonderful magical place. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Mm. Jenny, I'd love to know a bit about your backstory. So how did you get into becoming a nutritionist and you know, tell us a bit about that. Sure. Um yeah, so I've I've always been quite fascinated with um, the mind, actually, um, how the mind works, how we work as people, how we interact, how we feel driven and motivated, our emotions. That's, that's fascinated me from a young age. And I've always been a very kind of analytical people person. And I've always been really driven to help. I'm always that friend that listens and that, you know, people turn to for advice. Um, so that was always kind of going to be my role in life, in my career. I knew that. And I think at school, when you're however old you choose your uni degree, like 16 or something crazy, um, I just knew that I loved psychology as a subject so much. And I knew how useful it will be for, for me to help others, but also it transitions into so many other kind of areas of business. So studied psychology at university, um, went to Bournemouth. And I think it was there that in the kind of scary, strange times that your 20s are, where you're finding yourself, you're meeting people. It's all a bit of a weird time. Um, my relationship with food really showed up. It wasn't obvious at the time, but now I look back, I realise how much it uh, kind of manifested during university. 
where everyone else was, you know, going home with a kebab after lots of drinking and, you know, waking up and having a fry up. I was very controlled. I didn't really ever kind of touch a cheesy chip in my uni life, which is unheard of. Um, and I, I thought I was, you know, completely in control. And as I got into a bit of a difficult relationship with someone at university, that um, kind of bred the difficult relationship with food even more. It kind of fed it, um, no pun intended. Mm. And I got really restrictive I was um trying every diet I was you know tracking calories I was over exercising I would you know go into my room and binge eat and then restrict for days it was horrible but never ever would have thought oh I've got a problem or um, you know this is an issue it was just it was my normal um I suppose it might have been growing up in a family with a lot of women who who spent their lives dieting um and just being, a, a quite, I suppose, a quite a complex person in terms of, you know, my analytical brain uh, overthinking all the time. And anyway, so I went traveling after university for a few months and it was during and after that that it got quite bad. Um, I lost a lot of weight and people in my life were starting to notice um, that, you know, I wasn't being myself, I wasn't looking myself. But Actually, funny enough, I had a lot of compliments. It's crazy how people see you differently when you when you shrink. Um, people were more, they wanted to be around me more. It was like I'd kind of gained this power, you know, the more I lost. And that just fuels the fire. Mm. Um, it was almost like an overnight thing. And, you know, people say that and you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> it was not, never overnight. It doesn't exist. But it really was overnight. I suddenly went, okay, this isn't right. What's going on here? And it was like a complete wake up. Um, a friend approached me and said we think you know are you okay you know we, we think that this is an issue and I was like don't be silly what the hell this is crazy no like I'm totally fine I'm just I eat really healthily and I love healthy food and you know a day out to me was like going to a Whole Foods um, I think I actually spent one of my birthdays I asked my mum if we could go to Whole Foods for the day like it was a bit obsessive <laughs> you know the wellness culture kind of took over me mm. um and I yeah I woke up and I just thought what on earth is going on what is this what is this strange relationship I've got with food with my body and I, I just realized it was a problem long story short it took about seven years seven to eight years of a lot of personal work self-discovery self-awareness research learning um I went on to study nutritional therapy mm. at the institute for optimal nutrition um after traveling because i I'd kind of married my fascination with psychology, my kind of a love and obsession of healthy food. I know it came from a dark place, but it, it got better. Um, the science of all those mixed together, you know, the science of food and the impact it has on the body and my mission to help, to, to help people live better lives. And so, yeah, I went on to study nutritional therapy, not really knowing where it would lead me. But still, in the time I was studying, I was working on myself um, and my relationship with food. And it is work. It really is work. Um, so, I mean, you know, I went on retreats, uh, podcasts, books. Um, it was painful uh, to, you know, kind of radically look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, get on honest with yourself and say that I need, I need help. I need to do something about this. This is normal. Mm. Um, and everything that drove that strange um, dysfunctional relationship with food was really showing up in my life like ah, oh, that's why and that's why and this is what I need to do to, to overcome that and then I suppose I'm at the point now um, where I'm you know total peace and it's wonderful it's magic life is so much clearer and brighter when you shed that misery of guilt and shame and restriction and rules 
Um, and now I, you know, love the sciencey stuff with nutrition, you know, looking at how food um, nourishes, repairs and heals and supports our body and changes our whole, um, you know, bio, biochemical structure, physiology, but also the psychology stuff is the stuff I really love. Um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of the coaching aspect of nutritional therapy. I love working with people. And now, I think because of my personal experience, I very much attract um, women who um, also have a difficult relationship with food. And let me tell you, it's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they don't realize that it, that's what's going on um, until we do the work. And yeah, it's a really beautiful um, thing to see and be part of. So yeah, and that's where I am now. And now I'm practicing and it's, it's the best job in the world. <laughs> and you're changing lives as we speak. And it's amazing. I think, I think the way that you've approached um turning your kind of mess if you like or this phase of life that you went through something triggered you and and you began a dysfunctional relationship if you like with food but then through as you came through it you found some of the causes and the root causes for your um, dysfunctional relationship and you've used that learning to now support other women and I think that's that's the best way to serve people because then you know where they're coming from you know a bit more about what might be going on psychologically because Jenny I get lots of clients come to me and they have they are super smart women and they know the content of every single thing that goes into their mouth they know the nutritional value they know the fats the carbs the sugars and they have this will and desire to have a good healthy relationship with food but something is stopping them and it's really interesting because what they when they talk about food it's like this complex relationship that you might have with a sibling yeah where Mm. sometimes you love it sometimes Mm -hmm. you're furious at it (laughs) sometimes you or you never forget to eat you know when Mm. when you're kind of obsessed with food you kind of never forget but then sometimes you don't eat on purpose and you kind of you know resist it and you you create this kind of um sacrifice if you like with it and and sometimes you devour it and overindulge and it's like this kind of almost like I always think of like a sibling that you have a love-hate relationship with Mm. where you just go through this kind of really complex feelings on it and they can change from morning to night you know you yeah. might be feeling really on top of it and you love it and it's great and you feel like you're in balance and then mm. something will happen or maybe even not you know some some shift will happen in your in your mind and body and then you go from being furious at it the fact that you have to make decisions like, what do I eat what don't I eat how much should I not just eating isn't it it's drinking as well and I think yeah. that that's what I hear a lot of and I'd love to use some of your expertise really to dig into what's going on there (laughs) (laughs) it is complicated I I, I love how you um, related it to like a relationship and it's actually something I use in clinic I say if you were to give give me all the qualities that you need in a relationship with a loved one like it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship but like tell me what you need for that relationship to be really healthy and really Need to really thrive, and they say things like, well, trust, um, communication, quality time, you know, being really with that person and not on your phones together, you know, quality time, um, like pleasure, you know, you need pleasure in relationships, you need fun. Um, and I get them to write it down. I say, okay, now, if that 
relation that person was your relationship with food what's missing so like are you spending quality time with food and they're like what do you mean I'm like well are you cooking are you experimenting are you smelling your food are you playing with food you know are you getting into the the creativity and the fun you know it's our birthright it's it food is is there to to give us pleasure and I think that's one of the the big things and I will go into so many more but um if we're going to talk about I mean it does obviously affect men as well but women I think um denial of pleasure I think for Mm. a lot of women perhaps Mm. growing up in a lot of patriarchal systems women as roles as mothers as workers as you know housewives you know whatever it is um a lot of women feel a lot of shame and guilt um around pleasure Mm. um and I it's I ask a lot of questions when I start working with someone I say you know what do you do for fun they're like are you joking <laughs> what do I do for fun you think I've got time for fun um what do you do for fun to relax oh watch tv that's it like sit on my phone okay what do you do that's pleasurable and they they find that a very uncomfortable question mm. um because there's a real shutting down there's a real guilt around that that's associated with pleasure um and if we don't seek pleasure in food or in life um, we'll feel unfulfilled and unsatisfied and then that comes the sitting in the you know corner of the kitchen scoffing the biscuits like to fill up because we will feel unfulfilled and we want to fill up on something quickly and like instantly because mm. um, that's what the body needs it's not like just nice it's not just nice to have fun and nice to have pleasure it's what the body needs for for you know vibrancy and good health and happiness and those lovely things so yeah denial of of pleasure um from food is a big one but a lot of that just all of everything i'm going to say you know all pretty much goes back to the diet culture mindset um Mm. so yeah diet culture i think is the root cause of most uh people's difficult relationship with food the one that you described you know the up and down roller coaster the good the bad one day loving it next day hating it um Diet culture is basically anything that equates health and beauty to slenderness and links food and eating to morality. So it's a system that's all about, you know, you are what you eat, you need to earn your food or that you're, you know, you're good some days when you eat certain types of foods and you're bad when you eat others, you know, mm. labeling foods. Yeah. Diet culture is very sneaky as well. Um, <laughs> it's why a lot of women don't come to me and go, hello, I'm, I've been through diet culture and I am now struggling with my relationship with food it's never presents itself like that um it usually presents itself under the guise of health um, well this is what i was thinking because there are so many food movements in the last sort of five to ten years there's been this explosion hasn't there of yeah gluten-free dairy-free this free that free yeah. and um low carb and keto and all the rest yeah. of them and i find it baffling i yeah. i have no idea <laughs> what kind of system would be the right system for me and Mm. so what happens is I get overwhelmed being kind of food being good or food being bad like there's this kind of ethical Mm -hmm. dilemma that we all have to figure out and navigate food so there are we hear messages like you know if you eat your superfoods then Mm. you're reducing your chances of getting cancers and cardiovascular diseases and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are as a professional around this, but I think, yes, food and drink plays a role in reducing your chances of cancer and cardiovascular. But then there's so many other factors like diet and exercise and mental health and genetics and everything else that comes into play. And it's only through years and years of trying to 
navigate all of this information myself that I've come to learn that everything in moderation, obviously, but there aren't, you know, there's no one way that's going to meet everybody's needs, but there is this pressure to eat certain types of food because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to entice or create a situation where you're kind of encouraging all these major diseases to come and live in your body. Yeah, but it's actually, unless there's something specific in terms of somebody's health that's going on where, you know, if I had somebody come to me and say they've got a specific health condition, whether whether it's something to do with their digestive system, um, hormones, skin, you know, whatever it is, then we have to, my job's a bit like being a detective. Um, I have to really try and get to the root cause and mm. go from there. So that involves a lot of investigation, sometimes diagnostic testing. Mm. Um, food intolerance testing and really figuring out what's the best for that unique individual but if we're going to look at the broader aspect of things and the kind of the rules and the diets and the you know different messages that we all hear all day that change you know every week every month that's what causes this overwhelm this confusion and these rules and it's that noise it's the noise of all of these messages the rules the dieting the food labeling it's the noise of our busy lives our stressful lives we don't stop and pause and listen which shuts off our basic primal connection with our body we don't tune in your body knows what's right for you your you know disease comes from not basically is born from not listening to what's going on ignoring its its natural signals which would say i need this i don't need that i need this i don't need that um and a lot of that, again, comes from diet culture because it's about demonization and scaremongering around food. That's at the center. Mm. Um, and that it presents itself in the, in the outside world in so many ways. So you mentioned like food labeling. You know, I can't bear seeing food say things like guilt-free or, you know, oh, finally you can enjoy this chocolate because it's free of whatever. Um, or, you know, hearing if I hear like somebody teaching a gym class and they say, oh, you can go and earn your breakfast now or... No, it's it, it. A lot of people I work with come with this guilt. It, a guilt is a heavy, heavy emotion and energy to carry around with you, um, especially when it's to do with food, because eating is your birthright. <laughs> it's essential for life, um, and so when you're carrying guilt around food, that's that's going to manifest physically in the body as probably as an illness, because your body picks up on those signals. It picks up on the anxieties and the feelings of guilt, you know, doing shame, sorry, doing wrong and feeling shameful. Mm. Um, and that's all due to diet culture. And it is dangerous um, in terms of, you know, it, it's harmful in terms of it promoting disordered eating. Um, it, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. Um, and all that energy that, that I see, you know, clients who put into counting calories and worrying about their weight and worrying about their you know, the rules and this and that. And I think about if you put that energy in something you love, like, do you love dancing? Like, do you love gardening? Like, put that energy there. How, how much would your life fill up? And you, you said a minute ago, you were like, I don't know why. Like, why, why all these strange diets and rules and keto and this and that? It's a $60 billion industry dieting. Wow with an 80% failure rate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that's why it makes money. Um, uh, but it, you know, it's, it stigmatizes marginalized bodies. It makes negative emotions like fear, shame, anxiety, implicit in eating um, when eating is something we need to do to stay alive. So it's most, you know, difficult relationships with food and with women's bodies, uh, which are both very connected by the way. Um, 
uh, is our uh, come from diet culture mindset and it's it's ingrained it's conditioned so it's very difficult it's not very difficult to change it takes time to change it takes work mm. like you're an expert in that you know changing our mindsets it takes work and time and it's the same um so that's a lot of what i do our relationship with food probably starts earlier than yeah. we might think so we might have triggers in our teenage years or or beyond that in our 20s or 30s when we hit some kind of stress in our life and then our relationship with food becomes really apparent that we've got this you know it's a stress reliever in some way shape or form that we're using alcohol or we're using food to manage ourselves yeah what are your thoughts on you know what would be your sort of guidance to um, our mum listeners who are listening right now who have daughters mm. and to help them to mm. have a healthy relationship to help their daughters to have a healthy relationships and sons for that matter because obviously this affects everybody in the family mm-hmm. what would be your suggestion where should they start they might have realized that actually they are a little bit bordering on having a dysfunctional relationship with food mm. what should what can they do Good question. Um, <laughs> loads of things. Um, just remember that you're a mirror and your children are always watching and um, acting out what you do. So like I said, I grew up in a family with a lot of women who dieted and I just picked up in it and I thought this is what we're supposed to do. This is what's right. Um, love your body as best you can. You know, Love food as best you can. Try to avoid food rules as much as possible. Even if it's, um, you know, you it's something like I hear, you know, you can't eat your, don't, you can't have that until you have that. You can't have your chocolate ice cream until you have your broccoli. I know how tempting it is because you're desperate for them to eat well, mm. but um, just be patient, you know, be an example um, and trust, just trust the process that that little human <laughs> knows what's right or wrong. Um, and I, I was so fussy when I was younger. I was the fussiest eater and now I'm a nutritionist. <laughs> so if you have a fussy child, they're not going to grow up, you know, really ill and, you know, poorly. It's, it will just, it, it will transition hopefully, but you've got to be an example. So try and avoid food rules as much as you can. Again, I know it's tempting, but when you're born and you grow up with these rules around food, it can manifest into an eating disorder, even if you think it's the right thing to do. So show them how much you love food, you know, cook together um, make food exciting, colorful um, and pleasurable. Um, and, and yeah, try not to be too rigid. Just, you know, kids know kids are the best guest examples for us to watch as well. Mm. Um, they're a great, um, when I, I work a lot on mindful eating and when, when clients don't know what mindful eating is, I say, watch a child eat an ice cream. They are not thinking about the calories. They're not thinking about what they need to do in an hour. They're not thinking about what they did a minute ago. They are just so present <laughs> with that ice cream. They can't even feel it around the face. You know, when you see a child and it's all over their face and you're like, how does it not realize? <laughs> Cause they're so, <laughs> they're so in the joy of the ice cream. And then they realize, so yeah, you're both a lovely example to each other. You know, see the joy that children get from food and try and have that same joy. Don't diet, don't, you know, avoid too many rules around food. Just, you know, remember, go back to the basics. Food is essential for life. Food is fun. It's enjoyable. Um, and try not to, try not to soothe children with food. So um, have other coping mechanism, mechanisms for emotions because 
that is a lot of the root cause actually of you know you said that difficult relationships with food can show up in our 30s our 40s whenever and Mm. you know you go right back to when you fell over in the playground or you fell over with your mum and you know started crying and it was like oh here's a biscuit (laughs) have Mm. an ice cream have a packet of sweets it's so tempting but that brain is wiring to condition ah negative emotion sugary food um and that can yeah be conditioned throughout our in our lives so yeah just just love your body love food and and your children will will do the same absolutely i mean there's so much um research around social learning and how our children are constantly not just picking up on our actions but also our energy so if mm. we're struggling with food in the sense yeah. that we're kind of sat at the table and we're mm-hmm. kind of not not wanting to eat because we feel we shouldn't for whatever reason or we overreach you know we're kind of having more than our portion size whatever that should be mm. for us all of that is being felt by, by our children and yeah they then are thinking that this is what normal looks like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. normal is to you know do what mum does and I think mum has probably a bigger role to play in the home in terms of the relationship with with their children and food because I know with my kids you know when I walk into a room Jenny you're going to laugh at this but if they will have had a meal they'll be sat in the lounge watching telly or playing and as soon as I walk into the lounge I'm hungry is what I get because <laughs> they associate me with food still yeah. and, and they're yeah. not babies anymore you know they're, they're yeah. primary school age children mm. and I know for a fact that whatever I'm eating they want a bit <laughs> you know they always want a bit so I know that at the same time then they're watching my relationship with food and they're watching yes. how I'm handling my food and how I'm talking about it and cooking and so yeah, I guess I just want our mum listeners to kind of be aware of the fact that your children are going to model what you do and then Constantly. add that into their minds as that's the behaviour that yeah. is the right behaviour, whatever it might be. And how do we step back a little bit and modify that? And what you're saying is be mindful, just mm. be in the moment, notice mm. what you're doing. Uh, notice what your children are doing and how they enjoy their food yeah it's, it's so interesting what you said about the energy I, I've worked with a mum before who struggled so much with her kids fussy eating and we did a lot of work on you know what they were eating of course um all the different you know right balances of different foods um to avoid that kind of constant hunger you know getting the right protein the right different sugars etc and then I think it was just one session we just both clicked and I said okay when you're do you eat with them no 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 I can't eat with them we eat different times okay so when they're eating what are you doing I'm washing up I'm sorting the house out I'm doing the chores you know ah okay so when the kids are eating they're watching mum and mum is stressed out mum is running around she's rushing she's stressed she's busy and I get it and you've got things to do you want to get out of the way you want to get the housework out of the way so you can relax but the kids are seeing stressed out mum and they're eating and the brain is associating those two things of, you know, rushing around, stressed out, ooh, all over the place and food mm. rather than, can you know, can you just take 10 minutes and just sit with them while they eat? Um, and it, that is so powerful, you know, just like, and it, it made a huge difference, made a huge, huge difference. What was the outcome of that? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Um, they 
ate much slower because a lot of the a lot of the pro- so that was the big problem is they were eating so quickly mm. and it was like food was done at, they jumped off of their chair back to their games what they were doing mm. we we're trying to figure out why they ate so quick and if they're seeing mum being quick <laughs> in the kitchen like rushing mm. around they're going to pick up on that you know even if you watch if you were to eat something and watch someone do something quickly you kind of want to rush because <laughs> it's like it feels like the right thing to do yeah yeah so I said can you slow down can you sit and be mindful and just you know relax for 10 minutes so you know the, the washing up can wait but if um the kids are going to grow up with this difficult relationship and they're going to have you know weight issues and things and it's worth it to just sit and just slow down like you're both going to benefit and yeah it was so easy but so wonderful and it is, is always those simple things that are the most effective it's, it's so interesting I was just as you were talking I was just thinking actually I do that sometimes as well so I need mm. to sit with my kids more often and mm. eat with them although they don't rush they take years to eat <laughs> why I give up and just go off and do things <laughs> yeah um I'm interested Jenny why is it that a lot of women after they have children really struggle to have some kind of weight management in their lives again and I know this has affected me massively over the years I have I look back at the uh, when I had my son who's six years old now and I was a really small size and then a few years later I gained weight and then about a year later I dropped weight and then I gained weight again. And I find myself, even though I'm a coach, right, I know what's going on psychologically, mm. I still struggle. And I still tr- struggle. And I think it's there's so many factors at play. So for a long time, time was a big factor when the children were little, because they're so needy, they've got so many things going on that we need to be there mm. for them, which leaves very little time for me to do what I want to do. Mm. Um, stress is a big factor because I think as much as you can be earth mother and love being around your children there's this kind of low level stress constantly Mm -hmm. to make sure that you know things are happening when they need to be happening because the ramification of them not getting fed and watered when they need to is huge right (laughs) because that was their basic need Mm -hmm. and then this kind of new identity kind of figuring out who you are now as a mom I think for me, that was quite a big thing that was going on. And again, kind of probably contributing to this low level stress of, I don't know who to be anymore. Like, am I yeah. a mom? What parts of me still exist? Because I have no time to explore those. Mm. And I'm just wondering how much of that you see in your practice. And if you can kind of share any insights into other people that might be going through something right now that's similar. Yeah, so um, I I think it was Eckhart Tolle who was talking about um, the identity of mums. Um, it does, you, you can sort of step into this role as if it's, that's you now. Like you lay, like I am a mum. And yeah, of course you are a mother to children, but that is not you. <laughs> you are not a mum. And when we attach to this identity, it psychologically that's what you become. So I am a mom, I look after these children, that is my life's role. And it becomes then very difficult when you do have those little, you know, pockets of time to fill those up with things that you love because you forgot what it is because you are a mom now. And that can be quite tricky when you, when you identify yourself as a mom or your job, you know, forget at the moment children, if if someone's got a job and that's their identity, 
that can lead to suffering because those things change. You know, kids grow up, they, they go off, they get older. Um, and it's like, who am I now? And I, I work with a lot of, uh, I don't work with many new mums. I work with a lot of older women whose kids are older um, and they're sort of me going through that transitioning stage and they're like, who on earth am I? What do I like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's fun? Um, because they, were, they, they became a mum, but then they became a mum and that was it. Um, so I think identity is a big one. Um, you know, knowing that your, your role as a mother is, is beautiful and it's fantastic and it's magical, but also to tune into who, who you are and what you love. And really, and it's always about just coming back to you. Like, you know, in meditation, it's, you know, always coming back to the breath. Yes. Just keep coming back to who you are. And you have to just keep reminding yourself, you know, when the kids are in bed and you're not with them, but even when you are with them, you know, what does mum like? What do, what do you like to do? What fills you up? What's, what gives you pleasure? What gives you joy? And then it's the time thing as well, I think is really interesting because of course you're so time poor when you're a mum, especially in those early stages. But I like to talk about time like money. Um, it's like a currency. So you've got much less of it for yourself when you are raising children. Um, and so if you only have, if you only had a little bit of money, then you need to be very careful where you spend it, right? If you want the, if you want the best things for you, then you need to be careful where you spend it. And if you want more money, you can't just find it. You can't look in the, you know, in the back of the sofa. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to make it. You have to go out and do something to make it. And it's the same with time. Um, so it's looking, you know, doing like an overhaul of your, your life, your days, how your days look with the kids or without the kids. And seeing, you know, where am I spending my currency, my time? Or where can I make more? Um, you know, can I ask for help? Can I delegate? Can I break down things? Can I manage time better so that I allow myself an hour a week? You know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter how much it is. You've got to make it for you. Mm. And sometimes that requires scheduling. So with my clients, we do a self-care schedule, whether you're a mum or not. Um, and I encourage uh, them to write a list of things that, they, that, that fills them up, that makes them feel alive, makes them feel free. There's nothing to do with being a mum or being a a nurse or whatever it is you do that's just like totally you that sparks life in you so it might be things like I love reading my favorite book in a bath with my oils I love dancing oh, I used to sing I used to be in a choir I love singing oh, I don't do that anymore I used to play guitar I used to paint okay like write everything down and go back to your childhood if you can't think of anything mm. and make schedule an hour a week for that thing or schedule five minutes a day um, when, whatever you can possibly do that's not going to stress you out, make time for it. It's very tempting to fill that time we've got with getting chores done, you know, washing up, whatever you need to do. Um, but that is just going to create even more stress and anxiety. And um, there's ways that you can still get those things done, but also make time for you. Because when we don't do that, or we don't make time for ourselves, those little pockets of time, we are pouring from an empty cup and you're going to burn out. And kids pick up on it. Kids pick up on stress. Like you said, it's an energy. It becomes very difficult to be of service and then no one is benefiting. So where it started, if I'm just trying to be the best mum, you're actually doing an injustice to, you know, what you're trying to, who you're trying to help because you are not feeling good, are you? You're not, you're stressed out. You're not sleeping. You don't feel yourself. You don't feel healthy. You're eating the wrong foods. Um, so just go back to the really simple things of like, just go out in nature for five minutes a day, you know, step outside, get the um, grass in your feet take a de- deep breath and go back in and carry on and it, wow you know what difference that makes to your day 
Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the kind of um, uh, practical side of things. You know, identity and time for sure are tricky managing it, navigating it. Um, but on a biochemical level, you talked about things like weight, um, energy levels. A lot changes when you have children in your body. Um, hormones go all over the place, and that can be quite long lasting. So again, if you're not nourishing your body, and I'm not just talking about the food you're eating, I'm talking about how you're eating it, what you're thinking about, your environment, how much sunshine you get, how many things you do that you love, the amount of time you spend with loved ones, you know, all of those things, your self-care, exercise, movement. Um, when you nourish those things and you're mindful of those things, your hormones will balance out much quicker. Um, and then everything else will about get, go into place in terms of balance because stress hormones... Like you said, it's like a constant buzzing in, in the background, the stress buzz. Mm. And then that becomes your new normal and you forget what it's like to not feel like that. But it is incredible what just things like a deep breath can do to those stress hormones. And when those stress hormones balance out, what incredible effects that has on your digestive system. And then when the digestive system's working better, what amazing difference that has on your weight and your skin and your PMS and it all just synergistically comes into place in this kind of beautiful magic balance. And that's not perfect for anyone. Nobody gets that balance perfect, fat. But it's doing what you can that's realistic for you um, to avoid you feeling all over the place because then no one is getting anything out of it. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's, that was the turning point for me, actually, because when I started, because I, I kind of went from, oh, I'm snowed with all these chores and these kids that constantly mm. need me. And for me, it kind of felt like, oh, I need a weekend away or I need, mm. I need hours and hours to myself to recuperate. But mm. it was actually when I started giving myself just the 15 minutes mm -hmm. and then I built that up. So, you know, to go from being around them 24 seven to then taking yourself out of that equation for a whole weekend is a huge ask for everybody involved. Yeah. But actually just saying, can I just go for a walk on my own for 15 minutes? Yeah. Or can I just be alone in my bedroom for 15 minutes so I can meditate or breathe or read a book or whatever mm -hmm. it is that I needed mm -hmm. to do. And it was through that kind of creating this new normal for everybody to say, yeah, that's what mummy does every day. She just does yeah. her own thing for 15 minutes. And then I could kind of say, actually, can I have 30 minutes? Or I am going to have 30 minutes, actually. I don't need permission. I'm just, that's what I need. And mm -hmm. it grew from there to the point now where, so mine are six and nine, and I have out of a whole 12 hour day bearing in mind we're in COVID-19 and we're all home every day <laughs> I have at least four hours a day that's just my time lovely yeah so that's built up over time and I think the other thing you make the point you made about Eckhart Tolle who I love was the identity thing mm. so when we identify as one thing mm -hmm. it really limits our capacity to be all of who we are because there's so many aspects to us there's so many aspects that make us a whole person and if we're just a daughter or just mm. a wife or just a mother it limits our ability to or, or just understanding of of who we are and first and foremost we're just us aren't we we're just mm -hmm. we're me just and then you narrate that story don't you like once when you 
steps that's when you've made that decision and it's not a decision you make consciously you know I'm a mother I'm a daughter I'm a wife that's the story that you play out in your life and then you resent because <laughs> you're like this isn't my story who, who gave me this <laughs> and then that resentful energy is really heavy um and it's so subtle it can you know come off in passive aggressive communication because you know it feels like you've been forced into this role but it's just a society thing it's a mindset thing um and yeah it limits you and you forget what what sparks joy because you've lost yourself over the kind of years of, of narrating this story of I am a yeah um, and it doesn't help and, yeah. make these like social comparisons as well because if, we, yeah. if, like, if our friends are much more maternal than us or yeah or aren't creating time for themselves mm-hmm. but you are and this has been me this has been my experience mm. where I will openly say that actually I have three or four hours to myself every day and they just can't believe that I would mm. do that some friends mm. have kind of scoffed at that <laughs> and it's quite hilarious because there were times where I'd be like oh should I be really should is, is that too much is that too much time for me and mm. obviously some of it is around the time the children are sleeping anyway or mm-hmm. you know they're having their tv time so I'm having in my reading time or whatever it might be but it's it's interesting how we make those social comparisons constantly as well and then that brings us back down to thinking oh maybe I'm not doing the right thing and and the guilt creeps back in again yeah yeah and it's just allowing permission isn't it it's just quite and that's a constant work it's constant inner in a chatter, you know, if you start to be mindful of that voice of, I shouldn't do this, I should be out with my children, this is bad, I, sh- I feel guilty, you know, listen to that voice and, and try and find out where it's coming from and, and try and kind of nurture it. And, you know, I, I hear you. Um, is, is this going to help you, the kids if you step away for 15 minutes? Like, who's going to benefit? Mm. Everyone. We're all going to benefit. Okay, then let's do it. It's, it feels good. And if it's a, it's a really respectful thing as well to grow up where mum is, you know, setting um, boundaries where mum says, hey, it's my time, it's, it's me time, like I'll, I'll see you in half an hour. And then she comes out calmer, happier, more vibrant, less stressed out. And the kids are learning that, oh, boundaries are good, right? Like that we should all be able to step away when we're not feeling good for our mental health and say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I, it's me time now. And that's really important. And again, it goes back to that, that thing where, you know, I, I get like the, the mum's thinking, oh, how can you have time to yourself? But if you're just, if you're not doing that and you're, you know, stressing yourself out more and more, your body's getting more and more unhealthy. Again, that's modeling to the kids that that's how that's normal. Um, and, and so it's, it's a really wonderful thing, but it certainly takes practice, doesn't it? To keep reminding yourself, this is good for me. This is good for everyone. Um, and then once you realize that and you see the benefits, you know, of allowing yourself permission, that gives you the motivation and the, and, and the benefit and everybody sees it and it gives you the, um, the ability to then go, okay, I know I now want an hour or two hours. So yeah, it's lovely that you do that. <laughs> it's yeah, brilliant. I love it. I love it. I'm, a big, I'm a big advocate of rest as well. I think that in yeah. society, we feel like rest is something that we have to earn and we have to yeah. enjoy at the end of a really hard, productive mm. day. Whereas I, I don't know about you, Jenny, but I make sure that I have rest after most things. So if if I'm doing a couple of hours work and, you know, our work is quite intense when we're working with people, um, it's quite intense. I always make sure that I have, you know, really substantial rest 
throughout my day. So I can keep going longer rather than crashing and burning at sort of seven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's again, it goes back to that, um, that permission thing, isn't it? It's, it's, if, if we, if we don't choose the time to rest, our body will choose it for us. Mm. And it's always at the most inconvenient times when you've got a big meeting coming up, um, you're going on holiday and then you suddenly get unwell. Um, you, your kids are being extra demanding and you, you know, your body's like, Hey, I now have the flu or, uh, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it will choose it for you if you don't schedule in the time to rest. And yeah, these days at busy lifestyles, it, it does sometimes require scheduling. I sometimes put in my diary <laughs> have a bath and read a book because otherwise because I love my work so much I'm sure you can relate to this I just I probably will just push through um and again when you do spend some time resting when you choose to and you see the benefits you're more productive you're happier and everyone else around you is benefiting it's like oh okay you know and it makes you want to do it more so yeah rest is essential and it's something that pretty much every client I see doesn't do enough and they don't know how to, they have no idea how to rest and relax. It's really interesting. Yeah. And again, it's, it's modeling the behaviors that you've seen as well. Cause my mum never rested. She was constantly mm. working on this kind of hamster wheel of just pottering around all the time. And so when I had my children, I just kind of defaulted to those kind of behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it was only in the last few years that I, I kind of was forced to rest. I had a few health issues and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really <laughs> nice. I like this suits me. <laughs> and now I'm like, I, I make sure that rest isn't something that I look forward to just at the end of the day. I do it yeah. two or three times a day, even yeah. if it's 15 minutes or 20 minutes here and there, or an mm-hmm. extended toilet break. Make sure I get it in because it's it's essential to recharge your batteries and do something different for a bit from whatever yeah. you've been doing before. Um, and it's good to, for the kids to see that as well, that downtime isn't something that we just do at the end of the day or that we have to earn it. And then we should feel guilty if we're having rest time. Mm. Our society is just obsessed with being productive and yeah. outputs. Um, and I just think that's just where the stress is coming from. Yeah, exactly. Our body doesn't have the capacity to, to just keep going as if, you know, how many times a day do you charge your phone? <laughs> it's, it, we're the same. We don't have the capacity to keep going. And we think we do. We'll ignore the odd little symptom and sign here and there that the body's struggling. You know, oh, my, my gut feels off. I'm getting headaches. I'm more tired. Oh, my PMS is bad this month. Um, I'm getting more cravings. You know, all of these things your body knows. Your body's telling you to slow down. And it's so easy to just keep pushing through it because the body is clever and it does adapt. But then eventually, that, and that's when I get my clients fall through my door and say, I can't do any more. Um, my body just can't keep, you know, can't keep up with me. What do I do? How do I, how do I, give me a, pick, give me a pill. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> to rest. <laughs> you need to slow down. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jenny, I've talked to you all day and you oh, have yeah. given us so much food for thought. Pardon the pun. <laughs> lots, lots to think about there, especially from the perspective of our relationship with food and mm. how it starts and how it kind of can manifest itself and the kind of triggers that can bring um, the, the mismanagement, if you like, of it. But then, you know, how to bring it back, having that building in some mindful time, some being present and enjoying and letting guilt go away, you know, not be part of how you think, but actually to embrace food and drink and 
to know that it's there to fuel you. It's kind of recalibrating that relationship, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jenny. It's been amazing. You're more than welcome. It's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) I'm Roxana Hussein, and you've been listening to the Personal Power Boost podcast. You can follow Personal Power Boost on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please go to the Apple podcast and rate and review this podcast. Do join me next week for another personal power boost. Thank you so much for listening.